0: Today's reading is from Judges, chapter 6, verse 1 through 32. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all Midianites together. "'Gideon replied, "'If now I have found favor in your eyes, "'give me a sign that it really is you talking to me. "'Please do not go away until I come back "'and bring my offering and set it before you.' "'And the Lord said, "'I will wait until you return.' "'Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, "'and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. "'Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, "'he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak.' The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. rites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one of seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon Jerubbaal, saying, Let Baal contend with him, because he broke down Baal's altar. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you, it'd be great to keep it open to Judges 6. If you don't, it'll be on the screen as we go through, so you can follow along there. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, and also that you are a God who knows each one of us and cares for each one of us intimately, that you know our hearts, you know what's happening in our lives, and you know our needs, we thank you for that, Father. And so we pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning as we think on this part of your word together. We pray that you would nourish us and feed us, that your spirit would be a work among us, and that you would strengthen us according to our needs so that we might live for you and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we would all know in some way the frustration and the disappointment that comes when relationships get caught in cycles of repeated hurt and sin, relationships that get caught in destructive cycles. Uh, We can find ourselves in situations where you might be on the receiving end of this or you might be the perpetrator where someone hurts somebody, does something wrong, sins against another and gives every sign of being sorry and certainly says that they're sorry but then instead of change happening, the same sin happens again. It can be incredibly painful when we find ourselves in that kind of cycle, intensely frustrating. And praise God, he works in us, he he changes people by his spirit and yet we do have this tendency to be caught in the same pattern of sin in some situations. Now, of course, that's in many ways what the book of Judges is all about. It's about people caught in a repeated cycle of sin, maybe one of the defining characteristics of the book, as you've seen if you've been here the last few weeks. But the extraordinary thing for us to remember is that this isn't just human-to-human relationships experiencing this dynamic. This is God's saved people, the nation of Israel, treating the God of the universe this way. The very God who made them and saved them, they are treating with this repeated cycle of sin, of rebelling against him, disobeying him, ignoring him over and over again. It's one of the most extraordinary things uh, about the Bible's account of God's dealings with us is that the supremely powerful, the supremely good God of everything could be treated this way by the people that he saved. And so one of the questions that should come to our mind again and again as we read Judges and see this cycle repeating over and over is, what's God going to do about that? We see him intervene, but is he going to allow that cycle to simply continue again and again and again? Or is he going to start stepping in and doing something different that the cycle may break? That's one of the questions that comes up up for us, particularly with the story that we uh, begin looking at today. That's the story of Gideon. Now this story goes on for uh, a few chapters and uh, we're going to pick it up uh, next week. James will uh, take us into the next stage next week. But we're just looking at most of chapter 6 today. Uh, Gideon goes on for three chapters, but we'll get to that in the coming weeks. Uh, And we're going to work through this first part of the story today in three points, thinking about uh, what God is doing among Israel with this repeated cycle of sin. Uh, First of all, we're going to see Israel torn down by Midian, verses 1 to 10. Second of all, we're going to see God raising up Gideon, for all the poets out there, Midian, Gideon, there you go, uh, raising up Gideon, verses 11 to 24. And third, more tearing down happens But this time it's not tearing down by Midian, it's tearing down Baal. Tearing down Baal, verses 25 to 32. So those are our three points. First of all, we see Israel torn down by the nation of Midian. So at the very end of chapter 5, we're told that the land of Israel had peace for 40 years. But then the end of that peace is compressed for us into one verse at the beginning of our chapter. So verse 1, we're told, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, Midian uh, was an area to the south of where Israel was based, and Israel had had stashers with them previous to this, but here they're presented as uh, an overwhelmingly powerful and dominant force. But it's not a dominant force in the sense of attacking and uh, destroying Israel in some one-off epic battle. Instead, it's what we might call the slow burn of total war over many years, destroying crops, slaughtering livestock, depriving people of their livelihood, ravishing the land, impoverishing the land, step by step, slowly and painfully putting their foot on Israel's throat and oppressing them. That's God's judgment on his people and it lasts that way for seven long years. And as you might come to expect in the book of Judges, that produces a familiar response from Israel. We're told in verse 6 Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. But then there's a slightly unexpected thing that happens next. That's in verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them not a judge, he sent them instead a prophet. So I think this is the first little hint here that God is breaking into the cycle to see things change, not immediately sending them the deliverer that they wanted, but first sending them an unnamed prophet to tell them why this is happening and essentially to pronounce his word of judgment on his people. Look at it with me there, verse 8. He's reminding them of everything he's done. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you. I gave you the land. I said, I am the Lord your God. Don't worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. You see what the Lord is bringing to his people through this prophet? Remember everything I've done for you. Remember who I am and who you are in relation to me. And remember that I've said to you, now I want you to worship me and not worship those other gods. But you couldn't manage it. You haven't listened to me. So this is a case here of God not giving his people what they ask for and not giving his people immediately what they want. Instead, it's a case of God giving them what they need because what they really need is to stop and to see the reality of their sin, to understand why this has happened to them. And the implication behind the words from the prophet, even if it's not spelled out directly, is stop doing this, stop living this way, turn back. Repent. And friends, this is often how God works, isn't it? God doesn't always give us what we might want. God knows exactly what we need. And because God is perfectly loving, He's much more interested in giving us what we need, not just what we want. And so we shouldn't expect that if we were to find ourselves in something like Israel's situation where we needed to cry out to God for help. We shouldn't always expect that he would give us what we want, whether it's immediately or sometimes at all. We can expect that God is going to give us what we need, that God is not interested in ignoring us, God's not out to get us, God's not wanting to make us suffer. Far from it. God, God is gracious, God's compassionate. Israel had every reason to know that, just as we do. But God gives us not what we want, what we need. When we get into trouble, certainly this is true for me, I think for most of us, when I get into trouble, I immediately define my greatest need as getting out of trouble. That's what I need, it's pretty obvious. But God might see things differently. And in particular, God may, and I emphasise here may, God may be using a time of trouble to draw attention to sin in our lives, just as he did for Israel. Again, I think that comes out in in the prophet's message where the implication is, repent, stop acting this way. And there's a subtle and important point in verse 6 where we're told exactly what Israel did. We're told that Israel comes to God and they cry out, not in repentance. What do they cry out? They cry out for help. That's a subtle but important difference. God is gracious, God is so ready to help us. He's near to all who call on him. But when it comes to that moment where we do call on him, surely the essence of our response, the the starting point for us as Christians is to recognise whenever we come to God, we always come as sinners. We come as forgiven sinners. We come as people who can boldly enter his presence through Jesus, but we still continue to sin. And so it's right for us always when we come to God to come not just help, but to come in repentance, to humble ourselves before God, uh, never to start thinking that God owes us happiness, but to humble ourselves before God. Don't be like Israel, don't only ever come to the Lord for help, come in repentance. And so that's what God wants Israel to do. He sends the prophet to call them to repentance after seven years of being torn down by Midian. However, of course, God is gracious and God is merciful. And so if you notice in the passage, even before Israel does respond any further, our second section begins with God taking action, taking initiative, hearing their cry for help and moving to rescue them. And so that's our second point, raising up Gideon. Raising up Gideon. Uh, so you get this interaction between Gideon and the angel of the Lord, starting in verse 11. And I want us to notice, just before we look at the actual content of what goes on there, I want us to notice a little point, which you might have picked up as we read the passage. In Three times in the passage, verse 11, verse 12, verse 20, we're told that the angel of the Lord, or the angel of God, addresses Gideon. But did you notice there's a little change that happens? There's five times in the passage where we're told something slightly different. Who are we told speaks to Gideon? We're told the Lord directly. That comes up five times. If you're playing along at home, it's verse 14, 16, 17, 23, 25. What's happening there? Why are we told there's an angel of the Lord speaking and the Lord is speaking? I think the essence of it is pretty simple. I think the message is, and you see this repeatedly throughout the scriptures, God can be so closely identified with his word that the messenger, remember that's what angel means, that the messenger of the Lord, the one who speaks God's word, can almost be directly identified with the Lord himself.